Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and healthcare with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Democrats who lead the New York State Legislature are moving ahead with several criminal justice reforms in the remaining weeks of the 2021 session. But Republicans are pushing back, saying the measures go too far and will contribute to the rising crime rate across New York. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Assembly Republican leader Will Barclay says the crime rate in major cities in New York increased in 2020 and that concerning trend is continuing in 2021. It seems like every morning we wake up to see another story about violence in our streets or a shooting where innocent victims are either killed or injured. And with these terrific headlines, it's not a surprise. New Yorkers are wondering, what's being done in Albany? Sadly, absolutely nothing. The rate of violent crimes is up nationally as well, though not as high as in earlier decades like the 1980s and 90s. Some political leaders and law enforcement officials have attributed the rise to increased societal tensions during the COVID-19 pandemic, the closure of key services that could discourage people from committing crimes and a lack of adequate gun control laws. But Republicans in the state legislature place the blame on the recently enacted laws approved by Democrats in the Senate and Assembly and signed by Governor Andrew Cuomo. They say ending New York City's controversial stop-and-frisk program and the elimination of most forms of cash bail has led criminals to take advantage of the changes to commit more offenses. Assemblyman Mike Riley is a former NYPD officer who now lives on Long Island. Their policies have created what has essentially become a revolving door for criminals to commit crimes repeatedly with no repercussions each time more emboldened to challenge the system and see just how far they can go. Senate Minority Leader Robert Ort, who represents the Buffalo area, held a news conference at the Capitol along with other GOP senators to oppose a measure known as elder parole. It would permit inmates 55 years and older who have already served 15 years of their sentence an automatic parole hearing. Ort says that would make notorious criminals like David Berkowitz, the 1970s serial killer known as Son of Sam eligible, as well as Mark David Chapman, who murdered John Lennon in 1980, and Colin Ferguson, who committed a deadly mass shooting on the Long Island Railroad in 1993. I'm not interested in rehabilitating the son of Sam. I'm just not. <laughs> That's not about rehabilitation. He's in jail. Colin Ferguson is in jail for the rest of their life. They can be rehabilitated in the next life. Republicans also oppose a measure known as Clean Slate. It would expunge some criminal records for those who've already served their time in prison. Governor Cuomo recently voiced his concerns about the growing crime rate during an appearance in New York City, where he said public safety is the key to New York's post-pandemic reopening. First, public safety. Public safety, public safety, public safety. Crime, crime, crime. Senator Ort says Republicans would like to see Cuomo introduce his own package of bills to change policies. Ironically, he apparently doesn't know what the solution is 
or is unaware of why that is happening. It's happening because of laws that he signed. A spokesman for Cuomo says there is no link between the bail reforms and the increased crime rate and condemned the GOP's comments. Spokesman Rich Azapardi in a statement said there are many real problems dealing with crime that require real solutions, but he accused the Republicans of trotting out the same craven, debunked, and discredited Trump talking points on cash bail reform. Republicans are offering alternative measures that would restore judicial discretion in bail decisions and let a judge take into account the seriousness of the alleged crime and choose whether to hold a defendant without bail. Another would require a unanimous vote of at least three parole commissioners to grant a prisoner early release. The Democrats remain committed to clean slate, elder parole, and the other criminal justice changes, saying it's a matter of fairness and giving inmates who have served their time a second chance. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Alan, in the legislature this week, criminal justice reform topped the list. Our Karen DeWitt reporting on it this week. For many Democratic senators and assembly members, they want changes to the state's parole system. Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins says she backs reforms to that system. Of course, we've been hearing about this for a long time, and it's one of those issues that the Republicans often make hay with. Well, that's right. If somebody gets arrested, they have a right to bail, for example. And if we are saying your right to bail means that you have the same right to go out based on your income as other people do who have a lot more money, it makes an awful lot of sense. You know, David, the criminal justice process in our state, there's a moment. And the moment has, I think, passed. There should be reforms. There's no question about it. And we should make the system more equitable. On the other hand, there's a certain amount of chaos in the city streets these days, not only New York, but Albany, causing absolute consternation for people like the mayor of Albany and all the other people who are responsible for keeping us safe. So there was a moment when it looked like, you know, disband the police and all of that. It wasn't ever going to happen, but it was a moment when people were demanding change and change which was long overdue. The way we recruit our police officers, who they are, what are the standards that we expect to get upheld, a lot of that will come now. We'll begin to see that happen. But there will be no defunding of the police or anything like it because, in fact, people demand their safety and the safety of their families and their kids and their husbands and their wives. We know it, and they're going to stay with that. So criminal justice reform has a long way to go. I am sure that our police are listening very carefully and the people who are in charge of policing when it comes to if you have an errant cop, if you have a rogue cop, we saw the Chauvin case, it will be a different story now. I'm sure of it. Well, let's pick up on your reference to the city of Albany, Mayor Sheehan, and what mayors uh, across the country and you know the state and the country are facing with this surge in shootings and gun violence. The part of this call for justice reform, criminal justice reform, includes a new gun control bill, Alan. And what they want is they want to make it easier for civil lawsuits to be brought against firearm manufacturers. Now, these are the mayors calling for this. What do you make of that? Well, look, mayors and police chiefs have been there for a long time. We know that guns are causing the chaos. The more guns there are, the more opportunities there are for people to use them. And we see it it's an, at an epidemic stage. At least it looks like an epidemic to me. So 
we do know that the gun lobby in the United States is incredibly strong. You're not going to get away with outlawing guns in this country. What you can do is begin to show some common sense in how you police those guns and whether or not people who have them are acting, if it's possible, responsibly. I'm not so sure it is. Nevertheless, that's what we face right now. It's a terrible, terrible dilemma. And would you like to see it easier for civil lawsuits against these gun manufacturers? Absolutely. Anything that helps. Unfortunately, you have a 6-3 to three ultra-right majority on the Supreme Court of the United States. And we know that they have spoken when the test comes in favor of guns, no matter what chaos is going on all around them. So it's disgusting. It's wrong. But it is. And one can only imagine if some of these cases get tested in the Supreme Court, what's going to happen? Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartok. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government, politics. I'm David Gustina. The New York State Attorney General's office is suing the Rensselaer County Board of Elections over its early voting program. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard with that story. The office of Attorney General Tish James announced its lawsuit against the Board of Elections Thursday over what it says is a repeated failure to select an early voting site that is easily accessible to Troy residents. Last month, as WAMC reported, the Attorney General's office, echoing a request from the NYCLU, wrote to the Board of Elections expressing concern over the lack of a centrally located poll site in Troy, where much of the county's minority population resides, that is easily accessible by public transportation. At the time, Rensselaer County Board of Elections Republican Commissioner Jason Schofield defended the county's only early voting location in Troy, a church located off Spring Avenue on the outskirts of the city. The board is in compliance with New York State law for early voting. We do have an early voting site in the largest municipality, which is the city of Troy. It is on the bus line. Uh, It was used by thousands of residents uh, during the early voting cycle last year for both the primary and general election. Early voting starts June 12th, ahead of June 22nd's primaries. Prior to the Troy Church's designation in May of 2020, a designation made as a bill introduced by Democratic State Senator Neil Breslin to require an early polling location in a county's largest municipality was gaining traction, the Rensselaer County BOE had designated two other sites in the towns of Skodak and Brunswick, predominantly white and suburban areas miles from Troy's population centers. Breslin's early voting law was signed in December of last year and took effect January 1st. In April, Commissioner Schofield said he and Democratic Commissioner Edward McDonough would tour four suggested early voting sites in Troy, though also questioned the feasibility of the four sites up for consideration. Schofield told WAMC he did not foresee any changes ahead of the June primary. 
The Board of Elections did not respond to a request for comment Thursday, but the Attorney General's office says the BOE responded to its request in a letter received May 12th. The letter from the BOE to the Attorney General's office stated it had considered the four suggested sites, but added, quote, At this present time, we believe our current location meets all state and federal guidelines set forth in Section 8600 of the election law and continues to be the best option for all residents of Rensselaer County, end quote. The Attorney General's office says the BOE was required to designate early voting locations for the 2021 general and primary elections on May 1st and May 8th. No changes appear to have been made. The lawsuit alleges the BOE failed to take into consideration several factors in choosing its early polling locations, including population density, travel times, traffic patterns, and accessibility by public transportation, proximity to other early voting sites, and other factors. Meantime, advocates, including the League of Women Voters and Troy branch of the NAACP, which have pushed for expanded early voting in Troy, are calling the Board of Elections actions voter suppression. Troy NAACP President Renee Powell spoke at a press conference earlier this week. This tactic is being used to make it difficult for people in the black and brown and low-income communities to exercise their right to vote. This coalition has been communicating with the Rensselaer County Board of Election Commissioners for at least three years to create an equitable opportunity for all people to vote to no avail. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was in Troy this week to call for additional funding for video game developers in New York's capital region. The Legislative Gazette's Jesse King reports. The New York Democrat is seeking $750,000 to fund a Game On Accelerator proposed by the Center for Economic Growth, the Rensselaer County IDA, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, and local developer Velen Studios. Schumer says the accelerator would spawn at least 350 jobs and potentially more as participants are encouraged to start their own development companies. Gaming is one of the hottest and fastest growing industries at companies close to home. 2020, global game sales were $175 billion. By 2023, it's supposed to get close to $220 billion. Schumer calls the capital region a burgeoning hub for the gaming industry, with more than 450 employees across 24 companies, including Warner Brothers Games, PUBG Mad Glory, Agora Games, and more. And the titles aren't obscure. Capital region companies have contributed to games like Candy Crush, Mortal Kombat 11, Guitar Hero, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, and Fortnite. Lace up your shoes, tie back your hair, and kiss your mama goodbye. This is Knockout City. Felon Studios was founded in Troy by industry veterans Guha and Kartik Bala in 2016. The studio most recently worked on Knockout City and Mario Kart Home Circuit, but the Bala brothers are perhaps better known for their first company, Vicarious Visions, which Activision acquired in 2005 and merged with Blizzard Entertainment this year. Guha Bala says he and his brother got their start making games for Vicarious Visions with the help of an RPI incubator in the mid-1990s. Their hope with the Game On Accelerator is to provide a similar opportunity for the next generation of graduates. Today, New York State has 29 college programs in video game design. We can give those graduates a home right here in Troy. We have the chance to go from a promising cluster of a couple dozen companies to a true ecosystem that's sustainable, that can establish companies, entrepreneurs, and new talent for generations to come. 
Specifically, the accelerator would provide industry training and idea development for 150 participants over a course of five years. The Rensselaer County IDA already approved seed funding for the program last year. And video games aren't the only part of the tech sector that's growing in the capital region. Last month, semiconductor giant Global Foundries moved its headquarters from the Silicon Valley to Malta with hopes of eventually doubling its manufacturing capacity at the Saratoga County site. Schumer is pushing for $100 billion in tech research as part of President Joe Biden's embattled infrastructure plan. And at the end of the day, Schumer says it's all connected. Part of the bill we're proposing is something that I have proposed called the Endless Frontiers Act. America will resume becoming the center of chip manufacturing. Uh, Global Foundries is very eager for this and would expand dramatically. But I just talked to uh, the Bala brothers, and this industry depends on advanced microchips, and there's a shortage right now. Having major infrastructure investment will certainly help expand the horizons of companies uh, like Velen. Schumer says he has already written to Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo in support of the accelerator. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Jesse King. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. The Plattsburgh area is set to host six tournaments on Lake Champlain this summer. Five will bring anglers seeking to win professional bass tournaments, and another brings a national jet ski championship to the region. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley with more. Lake Champlain is more than 100 miles long. North Country Chamber President and CEO Gary Douglas says it defined the Plattsburgh and North Country region even before European settlers came to the area. It really establishes the economy to this day, being so central to our tourism and hospitality economy, our recreation economy here in the North Country for certainly in the last century in particular. Lake Champlain is renowned for bass fishing. Last year, due to the pandemic, only one fishing tournament was held. But this summer, five are planned. The North Country Chamber's Adirondack Coast Visitors Bureau, Vice President for Marketing Christy Kennedy, outlined each tournament. The first begins July 8th. It is the Bassmaster Elite Series. This is actually, when you think of fishing tournaments, one of the Super Bowls. It's their most elite series with the biggest prize money. You get 84 top anglers that are competing for roughly about $100,000 per tournament. They will be here July 8th through the 11th. What really makes this one spectacular is also the media coverage we get. This comes with ESPN. Kennedy says the next competition immediately follows the Bassmaster Elite. July 15th, we are excited to have um, FLW here with their Toyota Series. And this brings about 450 anglers. A regional tournament then occurs on July 24th. Kennedy says the second largest tournament is scheduled to start August 5th. This is the Major League Fishing Bass Pro Tournament. Lake Champlain is usually considered one of the top 10 bass fishing lakes in the country. And finally, on the fishing front, we are closing out our tournaments in September on the 18th and 19th with an ABA Open Series. So all in all, on the fishing front, you're going to see about a 2,000-person influx of anglers throughout this season. 
There will be one non-fishing tournament scheduled. East Coast Watercross will bring its national jet skiing championships to the Plattsburgh City Beach July 31st through August 1st. This is the fourth year we've been able to host them. We did have to skip last year, but um, this is the second year we've actually been the national championship location. That's about 150 competitors and their families coming to the area. It's hoped that the numbers of people coming into the region for the tournaments will help offset the loss of Canadian tourists who cannot visit because the border remains closed to non-essential travelers. Democratic Clinton County Legislature Deputy Chair Bobby Hall is also a local tavern owner. As we all know, uh, with the border being closed, it has really affected our business here in Clinton County, and especially in the city of Plattsburgh, our sales tax dollars. This event here can really boost us up. It can get us over the hump. This could bring us back to normal. Best Western Plus Plattsburgh General Manager Julie Kramer says the hotel industry has been one of the most impacted by the pandemic and the tournaments will bring in needed business. For us in the hotel industry, it's been devastating and 50 to 60 percent of our summer business would be our Canadian friends and that's a huge hit to our area, not just hotels, for everybody. And these tournaments bring in much needed bad nights for us and occupancy tax as well for the county and not just that for the restaurants and the gas stations and everybody else in the area that need this business and it's not just a weekend you know the scouts come in usually a week week and a half before then they bring the boat in and they bring the boat testers in it's like this whole big entourage deal it's very interesting but it brings a lot of money a past economic impact study done in conjunction with SUNY Plattsburgh assessing a similar schedule found the fishing tournaments brought about $3.2 million in direct and indirect spending to the region. Each tournament must have a health plan filed with the New York State Department of Health that follows all COVID testing and vaccination protocols. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. For almost two months now, a woman has been walking on a 902-mile journey to raise awareness about human trafficking. She was in Albany recently before finishing the trek on June 19th, and the Legislative Gazette's Jackie Orchard was there. The Free Them Walk follows the route of the Underground Railroad from Lynchburg, Virginia to Buffalo, New York, because Kelly Diane Galloway says human trafficking is modern-day slavery. By the time Galloway reached Albany, she had walked 607 miles. Human trafficking today still affects over 40.3 million people worldwide, and it is a $150 billion business. Slavery still exists. People are still being bought and sold for sex. People are still being bought and sold for labor. People are still being bought and sold for medical experimentation. People are still being bought and sold for entertainment. Galloway says most people don't start caring about the problem until they're affected personally. You hear 
hear the stories about those young girls who can never escape, who feel like they can never escape what happened to them because there's videos and pictures of them floating all around the internet. Are you moved yet? Or are you going to wait until what happens to your child or to your neighbor's child or to your cousin or your best friend or somebody that you personally know and you personally care about? My call is don't wait till it's too late to care. With annual awareness events and warnings, human trafficking remains persistent, if sometimes unseen, in the Northeast. Just in April, 15 across the Capital Region were charged in a human trafficking case. Albany Police Chief Eric Hawkins spoke alongside Galloway at the Stephen and Harriet Myers residence, an original home of the Underground Railroad. We interview these young women and just the, the, the heart-wrenching stories that we hear how they got into it and, and, and how they're being kept in this. Um, so I, I applaud what you're doing. Um, this is great. Um, this, is, this is great for our community. This is great uh, for this country. The Free Them Walk also included stops in Richmond, Philadelphia, and New York City. I'm on my second pair of shoes. We have been able to walk through. <laughs> we have been able to walk through Appomattox County, where General Lee surrendered, and Richmond, Virginia, stood over the bodies of Black and Brown people who were enslaved and sold at the second largest port at Shaco Bottom. We were able to walk through Warrington, Virginia, where my family was enslaved, and being able to track where they were, and it's the people there that have been so kind to help me find out more about where I come from. Galloway says she hopes her journey educates others about human trafficking and lends hope for victims of exploitation. We're going to end in Buffalo, New York, and we're going to get there on Juneteenth, June 19th. And why is that day significant? Because that is the day that uh, that's what we call our Freedom Day. And as an abolitionist, as somebody that fights for freedom of every person, it is my job to give human trafficking victims, it is my desire to give everybody their own personal Juneteenth, their own personal day of freedom. Galloway runs Project Mona's House in Buffalo. The organization rescues women from across the country. Galloway says the goal of the Free Them Walk is to raise $1 million to build the nation's largest human trafficking restoration home in western New York. A 2019 report by the State Department identifies the U.S. as one of the world's worst places for human trafficking. For more information on the Free Them Walk, go to WAMC.org. Reporting from Albany, I'm Jackie Orchard for WAMC News. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2123. Or just listen or schedule a podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time. For more news on New York State government and politics, for the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.